Well, today we're beginning uh, week three, kind of uh, of the Passion series, and um, in the first couple of weeks we learned that the nails were not the instruments of which attached Jesus to that cross, that it was his love and his passion for humanity that kept him there. And last week we learned that it was in humble service that the King of Kings, the creator of the universe, came and lowered himself, descended himself down to mankind to care for us, to teach us, and to uh, serve us, and to die for us. And that was the humble love of Jesus. And our theme verse, uh, you'll see on the screen here, is 1 John 4, and chapter uh, ver- verse 10. And it says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Jesus' actions were fueled by a humble love. And as we'll discover um, throughout this morning, uh, it was fueled by a perfect love. Jesus embodied what love truly looks like, a perfect love, focused. He was always focused, and the scripture bears this out. He was always focused on the joy that was set before him. Well, you know, some of you uh, may know that I played tennis in high school, uh, not very well. I was the sixth man on a six-man team, and um, I made the sixth man halfway through my junior year. Come on, a little bit of... A little bit of celebration because one of the guys got off the team and it opened up a spot. No, but for four years, um, our coach worked us to death. Um, we, we had, you know, we just thought, you know, tennis uh, during spring. Yeah, that sounds easy enough. But no, 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 it didn't start in spring. We were not allowed by law um, to go onto the courts before a certain date, but The coach had us lifting weights and running, and if it was too inclement outside, we would go into the gymnasium and run lines on the basketball courts. That means you you run here and go back to the wall, and you run here and go back to the wall, and you run a little further and go back. And we were just at a point. Well, we we had a sadistic coach. That's all I can say. He he had it in for us. We would have to to lie there and, and, and hold up our legs, you know, doing those stomach crunches and he said, keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. Oh, we were just dying. And then we would have to run and run and run. And this was all during the winter into the early spring until finally we could get on the court. And it, it didn't seem like he was working us to death. But then we had to run some more. And we ran lines on the court. We'd hit the net with our rackets, go back to this line. Hit our nets with a racket, go back to that line and, and do uh, relays that way to the point where some of us were throwing up. I mean, it was, it was grueling. He was a masochistic so-and-so. He was, he was our best friend. But, you know, it really boiled down, really came to fruition, all of that training um, in those tightly contested matches. And I played doubles. Um, so we had two singles players and four doubles, uh, four people playing doubles, and the girls as well. And in those tightly contested matches that lasted forever, some matches were were over really quickly, but in those tightly contested matches, it really boiled down to us outlasting our opponents. 
And we had state champions uh, in our, uh, on our team, in our school team. We had regional and district champions. Uh, we were well known uh, for our tennis program. And I truly think it was because of our, because of our, our loving coach who, who put us through all of that. Well, in running terms, Jesus ran a really good race. Uh, he didn't have to work out as we did on the tennis team or many of you in any kind of sport. You've got you to gotta be conditioned. But he ran the perfect race while here on earth. That took him eventually to the cross. And I think over time, God prepared his heart to be able to endure that suffering. And today we're going to learn more about the perfect love that really fueled Jesus on his journey. Well, if you have a Bible with you or digital device, you might want to turn to 1 Corinthians 9. That's where we'll be first. Several passages, uh, passages of Scripture no one is really the thematic pas uh, passage that we're going to look at. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll look at verses 24 and 25. And this is where the, the Apostle Paul talks about, he, he really shares some profound ideas and talks about self-discipline. He talks about training here. And he says, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way as to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control over everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown. But we, an imperishable crown. Jesus ran the perfect race. And we know from the Gospels that he was very disciplined with his time. He was very intentional. He never did anything by accident. He never stumbled upon a situation that he wasn't prepared for or that he did not know in advance. He prepared everything. He was very intentional. And he was neither running aimlessly nor, as Paul says almost humorously, boxing in the air. Um, he had an eternal crown in mind. He had the eternal goal of bringing a remnant to his father. And that's what drove him. A specific mission. A specific calling, if you will. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. And the first two verses of Hebrews chapter 12 really enlighten us uh, about where we're going today. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we always have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and sin that so easily ensnares. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping, keeping our eyes focused on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him. So let me say that again. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we are all called to run a similar race. 
So while running through this Christian life, Christian race, it is important that we do so with endurance. And endurance requires us to be committed to the cause and invites us never to give up the hope of crossing someday that finish line. But today I want us to look a little bit about, uh, talk a little bit about uh, Jesus, the perfecter of our faith while we run the race. And God, I think, is able, as we journey on that race, He is able to perfect us. He is able to refine us, to make us more like Christ as we are going. But how does this happen? What is required of us to experience this? Well, this week, three thoughts kind of came to me. And so one of them was, Number one, keep your eyes focused on the cross. Keep your eyes dead center on the cross. We already spent time in this series discussing how Jesus suffered on the cross for our sins and that it was his passion, his love for all of us that kept him there on that cross. And I believe if we desire to experience that same kind of passion, if we desire to experience Jesus personally day by day, because it's a daily experience, we must be willing to fix our gaze upon the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 tells us, so we do not focus on what is seen. Let me pause. What is seen? What do we see? We see what's in front of us. We see the world. Uh, It it might be through some media on our device or some news program or reality TV show, or we might look at the world and see all of the crime and all of, of the ugliness out there. If that is all that we look at, folks, we will be miserable. Christians. But God has not called us to be miserable Christians. He has called us to focus our attention, however we can do that, but to keep our gaze up on Jesus and the cross and about what he has done for each of us and and the cross and, and what Jesus accomplished there is eternal. And that's what that's what Paul is telling the Corinthians. You keep your eyes on the cross, and you can get through anything. Keeping your eyes on it, you you don't ignore what's around you. You're still going to go through issues and certain situations and circumstances that that are hard. But keep your eyes focused on the cross, and it will certainly help you get through things. As humans, we experience this ongoing conflict between where we fix our gaze, right? Versus where we occasionally glance. Maybe you're focused on the cross right now. But later on today, or maybe tomorrow, you totally forget about being focused on the cross. And you you again sink in the muck and mire of your misery. And that's what, that's just kind of human nature. But I'm encouraging you to do this often, to keep 
focused on Jesus. Maybe you're feeling empty this morning like you don't have that much to give. You, you feel empty inside. Maybe you're here seemingly by obligation. Maybe it's because you're Maybe it's because you've been glancing at God instead of gazing and staring at God. Maybe you've been staring and gazing at the world instead of really laser-focused upon the Lord. I want to challenge you to make that switch today. I truly want to challenge you to take it upon yourself and say, God, please help me to stay focused on things that are of an eternal nature. And God will answer that prayer. I want to invite you to spend time gazing and beholding the Lord Jesus Christ. Gazing at God invites us to spend time with Him in His Word. And that's just a practical way that you can gaze upon the cross, that you can gaze upon Jesus just staying in His Word. And much prayer. Lots of prayer. Uh, I'm going to show you... um, Kind of maybe the, the second shortest verse in the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray constantly. Pray constantly. Don't give up, but praise constantly. Fixing our gaze upon Christ means, I don't know, praying in the car with your eyes open. Praying in the car. Uh, when you're at the coffee shop, when we drop the kids off at school, When we're getting groceries, Lord, help there to be sufficient funds in my bank account today. That's a prayer. That's a prayer. God may not answer. (laughs) It depends on what what you've done with your funds that week. But he's listening. Pray everywhere. And we have to train our minds to focus on Christ. We have to literally train our minds. It doesn't come naturally. We have to train our minds to do that. The focus on the things that not the focus on the things of the Lord, to focus on the things that we find in His words, uh, find, find in His word, um, not to focus on those things that cause us such distraction. Now we have to do life. I'm not asking that you go through life with your head in the sand, or with this hillside. You know, you're up on a hill just waiting for the Lord to come, selling all of your goods and everything that you own and waiting for him. No, that's not what we're talking about. As you're going through life, as you're going through life, Lord, I'm about to go into this meeting. Would you just, would you just be with me? That's all the time I have for, Lord. He likes a prayer like that. He's hearing you. And he'll, Lord, I'm about to take a test. Uh, just give me clarity of mind and help me to, to do well, do as well as I've studied, <laughs> if you study well. All of the time that we spend with God is meant to direct our focus and attention back to the cross. Jesus is where our hope lies in every season of life. So as we direct our focus on the cross, God is able to refine and perfect our faith. He is able to take us deeper and deeper in His holy word. However, Allowing God to perfect our faith um, does not only include keeping our focus on Jesus, on the cross. We're also, secondly, 
We're to endure whatever the race brings. Keeping your eyes on Jesus is not going to keep the world from assaulting you. Endure whatever the race brings. And the Bible makes it clear that there will be hard times we face while running the race. We will have to learn to endure frustration, maybe hurt, maybe pain, emotional or physical, hardship, persecution, and harassment. I don't know what's in store for any one of us, but we have to be ready to endure. Jesus tells us in John 16, 33, in this world you will have suffering. Previously, he says, they did it to me. They hated me. They persecuted me. They're going to do it to you as well. And James 1, 2 reminds us, count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds. And the kinds of trials out there are growing and growing and growing. There are many kinds of trials that we can face. And these are just two passages passages that really tell a consistent message throughout the New Testament that persecution befalls all Christians eventually, eventually. Even Jesus endured trouble and persecution and, and pain and suffering. Last week we talked briefly about the anguish he felt just before being arrested. He prayed and asked God, Let this cup pass for me. However, he was ultimately willing to endure the pain and the struggle of the cross. He didn't allow his his concern, his fear of what was going to happen that day to, to keep him from moving forward. He endured suffering on our behalf. And ultimately, he did so. For the joy set before him. And because of that joy. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to get my head around, and I will forever, while I'm here on this earth, try to understand that Jesus saw in the cross joy. Now, we know that it was a miserable experience for Jesus, it was terrible. But he saw the end goal. He saw himself saving a remnant and giving it as a sweet offering, that is us, and saving that as a kind of lifting it up as a beautiful, wonderful, aromatic offering to his Father. Jesus looked forward to that. And the cross was his means by getting there. He died, but for the joy set before him. You and me. I think that's just amazing. Because of that joy Jesus experienced, we can experience new life. If we want our faith to be refined and perfected, chances are we're going to have to go through the fire. I don't wish that for any one of us, yet I wish that for all of us. I know that doesn't make much sense. 
But there's too many scriptures and passages that Paul writes that says, Lord, bring it on. Because I am never closer to you than when I'm suffering. I'm never more like in, in fellowship, in friendship with the Lord Jesus Christ than when I'm suffering. I don't wish suffering for any of us, yet I wish suffering for all of us. It's a conundrum, I think. Here's what Paul says in Romans 8, 17. And if children also heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. There is something beautiful about seasons of suffering. We don't need to run from them. We don't need to turn our back. We don't need to try to avoid. But don't miss the beauty in suffering. Many of you are aware that my sister passed away back in January, and she would have died alone in her home, in her bed, if my brother had not come over to her house in the morning, come into the house and come to her bed, and she woke up and she said, why are you here? And he could tell she was barely alive. He said, you're sick. You need to go to a hospital. I've called the ambulance. And, and she said, thank you. And he picked up her barely 50-pound body, and they got her in a stretcher and took her to the ambulance where uh, she died at the hospital the next day. Um, with family present, with my brother there, um, and, and there was something very sweet and special about that. They had walked with her throughout the journey of her cancer, daily holding her hand and helping take care of her the best that they could. My sister would have, would have died alone at home, but not for the care of my family. And, and yet, during the funeral service, the aftermath, talking with my family since then, there, was, there is something just beautiful about the suffering of a saint. Again, we don't need to run from that. We, you, you don't have to worry, well, I don't know what to say in, in a situation. Don't say anything. Just be there. Just be there. Well, when we feel like we are at our most difficult, difficult points in our lives, I think that's when Jesus shines his brightest, right? I mean, when times are the darkest, Jesus' light obviously shines brighter, doesn't it? Maybe God has you in a season like that right now. Maybe it's just darkness all around you. But during this time, allow God to shape you and mold you into the person He wants you to become. Now that may not be comfortable. No, I'm, let me say this. It will be uncomfortable. Anytime God seeks to do a work on us, it's very uncomfortable, but we have to yield ourselves to the physician's scalpel, to the great physician's scalpel. However, the Bible promises us that we can still have joy in the midst of that suffering. The decision that Jesus Christ made to endure the cross in the eyes of the world, 
foolishness. And I would have probably been there with him. Jesus, you're the most perfect person I've ever met, yet you're dying on the cruelest instrument of death that is reserved for the worst of criminals. I don't get that. It was an instrument, the cross was an instrument of of death and, and really shame and humiliation. The cross was used for criminals, and yet Jesus was, was willing to die that way and die between two of them. For the joy set before him. Don't ever forget that. And so we say, wait, so that means that Jesus was joyful and reconciling sinners like me? You bet. You bet. And additionally, I wonder if maybe we are called to take a similar path in our endurance. Does it bring you joy to see your neighbor, to see your loved one, to see a co-worker come to faith in Christ? Probably for many of us, nothing gives us greater joy than to see someone come to faith in the Lord Jesus. What if God is trying to use you to plant the seed, the gospel seed, into the heart and mind of someone and let it stir up, let it marinate, if you will. Through sharing Christ, He will perfect your faith. Keep your eyes fixed on the cross. Endure whatever the race brings. And finally, remember you are not alone. You're not alone. All throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, He was reminding everyone around Him, you're not alone. God the Father was directing every step. How did He know where to step? How did He know what to do? The Father and the Son were in constant communication. He was never alone. Jesus was, was, was literally finding moments where He could get away and be with the Father to pray. Especially, I don't think there's any more heartfelt prayer in the whole Scripture than His prayer in Gethsemane. We looked at that uh, some a week or so ago, where He could spend one-on-one time with the Father, and truly, He desperately needed the Father's counsel. He models for us what it means to be fully reliant on God's strength and presence. This is where the Holy Spirit comes in. This is where the Holy Spirit can guide us. When we realize what it means that we're never alone, what would that do do for you? What would that literally do for you in the midst of your darkness, in the midst of your circumstances, to know that God's Holy Spirit is with you, that He will lead you through difficult things? 1998 was a particular hard year for me and my family at my last church. Um, We eventually got to where we uh, resigned and and left the church. But one of the truths that God continually reminded me of during that time was that I was not alone. I mean, there were other people, my family and other people around me, But I got this sense that He was with me. And I saw Him and experienced Him more real during that time than in any other time 
And yet that was perhaps the hardest time I've ever been through. And that really illustrates perfectly what I said a while ago. When it's the darkest, Jesus' light shines the brightest. But he, he led me to do something very practical, and I think God does this with us. He doesn't say, just believe, continue to have faith. But he led me, we need to do that, but he told me, and I felt him do this, he, he led me to a book on my shelf, uh, The Experiencing God Daily Devotional. So those of us who are going through, almost done with experiencing God, who, you remember all the truths, all the principles throughout. Imagine a daily dose, just a daily dose, not, not the hour dose we have right now, but just growing in that way. Henry Blackaby's devotional is just reminding me every day, God loves you. He has a plan for you. He has a will for your life. And I grew during that time, and the Holy Spirit just guided me day by day in the Father's presence, maybe more so than at any other time in my life. I may have grown spiritually and emotionally during those, those short months than I ever grew in all of my life. And through experiences like this, I have witnessed Jesus perfecting and refining my faith. Not that it's perfect. Perfecting, you understand, is a lifelong journey. You never get to the goal until death or until Jesus comes back and takes us to be with him. I pray, Jesus, may it be soon. But it happens when we are solely relying upon God's ability and willingness to see us through the hard times in life. We must learn to trust him, to have faith, to rely upon his Holy Spirit that is deep within us. John 14, 16 says, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Amen. Jesus Himself says that the Holy Spirit will never leave us, which means He will never leave us. Whether you're enduring a tough season right now or one that isn't producing much fruit, or maybe you're going through a season of producing a lot of fruit. Give glory to God for His faithfulness and His never leaving you, he, keeping the promise that he, he will never forsake you. Give glory and thanks to God above. Thank Him for His sweet Holy Spirit. We are truly never alone in the journey. The perfect love of Christ for His church. The perfect love of the Lord Jesus Christ for each of us is an amazing gift of encouragement. And it's worth remembering that Jesus Christ learned perfect love and received perfect love directly from His Heavenly Father. And we're going to do the same. We're going to get to experience the perfect love of Christ through God the Father that just so much wants us to experience it. I brought this up last week, but it's worth remembering again. This is our last slide, our, our last scripture. John 15, 9, it says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. It's just so matter of fact. As the Father's loved me, so I love you. Now remain with me and my Father. 
Jesus, the Savior of mankind, is asking me to remain and experience His perfect love. Don't go looking anywhere else for it. Stay, Jesus says. Remain in my love. You found the real thing in me, He says. And as many of us here know all too well, you're not going to experience, discover, find the unconditional, all power of love of Christ from some counterfeit God. From your vocation. From your spouse. From a hobby. From a worldly relationship. You're not going to find it. That perfect love exists only in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one who will not let you down. So maybe today you need to invite that love back. You just need to say, Lord, I once knew this love. I I, I have since fallen from you. I have found satisfaction elsewhere, but it has left me wanting. And I come back. I, I just literally rededicate my life to you today. But maybe you've never given your life wholly to this loving Lord. This one who wants to just embrace you. The capable hands of Christ, the capable arms of the Father holding you. So let me invite you here today. Receive the perfect love of Christ. He'll never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will remain faithful to you, to the very end of time. Let's pray together. Father God, we want to enjoy your perfect love. We want to experience what it is to be loved unconditionally. Father, you and you alone love that way. I know that we try to. We try to experience that agape love, but it's an imperfect love. It's a human love. It's a love that's the best love. It seeks the best in others. Lord, more often than not, we fail. But Lord, I pray that one here who is unsaved might come to you and say, Lord, I have looked for love in all the wrong places. Today I come to you. Today I give my life wholly and completely to you. And I ask that you forgive my sins because there are many. Father, I pray that as you forgive my sins that you'll come into me, you'll cleanse me, you'll make me new, like a new creation. That's what your word says. And I pray, Father, that as you save me that you will Take me into heaven as you promised. Father, I got a lot of days probably remaining here on this earth and I just want to live them all for you. I know I'll fail, but that's my end goal. To live all of my life for you. So Father, now as we come to this time of decision, I pray that you'll prick our hearts May your Holy Spirit convict us of 
ways that we can change or ways that we can change in relationship to this message today. Lead us and guide us in your direction. In Jesus' name we pray.